Hi everyone, my name is Malsaret and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the first edition of the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. You can get more information about the Knowledge Community on the various social media outlets including Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com backslash SALead, or on Twitter at at NASPA SLPKC or Instagram, which is at NASPA underscore SLPKC. Or you can also find all of the Knowledge Community's webinars that we do, uh, and that's at NASPA SLPKC. So the purpose of this podcast is to further the national dialogue about leadership theory and programs. We want to discuss good work that is developing students, and we hope to talk with student leaders, researchers, and most especially practitioners. The conversation is designed to be casual in concept. Content does not have to be empirically proven. It just needs to work for your students and be worth sharing to your fellow student affairs professionals. So if your department or institution is excelling at challenging and supporting students through leadership work, we would love to have you on the podcast. And you can please write to us at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. So now I'm going to start the process of talking less and hearing more about the great work occurring at Duke University with the Duke Authenticity Project. My guests today are Katie Colloran and Eleanor Landis. Katie Colloran is the Assistant Director in Duke University's Center for Leadership and Social Action. And prior to working at Duke, Katie worked at Brown University and held a graduate assistantship at Harvard. Katie completed her undergraduate work at St. Michael's College and her graduate degree at Boston College. And Eleanor Landis is the Program Coordinator for the East Campus and Duke's Housing Assignments, Community Housing, and Planning Office. Eleanor completed her undergraduate work at Davidson College and earned her graduate degree from Michigan State. Katie and Eleanor manage the incredible Duke Authenticity Project and are here to share their program with, with us. Welcome, Katie and Eleanor. Thanks for having us, Thanks. Miles. Glad to be okay. here. Sure. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today and for your patience in being the first guest. Um, before we dive into the content of the Duke Authenticity Project and talk about leadership as a whole, I'd love to hear more about who Katie and Eleanor are outside of the formal introductions I already shared. So Katie, <laughs> what is your favorite thing about yourself? Um, I think if you are going superficial, I would say my freckles. <laughs> I really like my freckles. I think they stand out on my face, and I appreciate that. Um, if you're going a little deeper, I think um, I, I just I appreciate this, and I hope other people do. I try to show up really genuine in every situation, and I think that's one of the reasons I really like working with the Duke Authenticity Project, because that is just one of my favorite things about myself. Great. Thanks. Yeah, I have some superficial things that I like about me, too. Like, I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not a germaphobe. I really like that about myself. I don't have any dietary restrictions. I really love that. Not that's to, a good thing know. either. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big a win. But I think my favorite thing about myself in a superficial way is that I'm not bothered by ambient noise, like clicking of pins or analog clocks. That sort of stuff does not bother me at all. So. Wow. Um, I just, that's a good one. You know, just so you don't feel too boastful. Um, okay, Katie, why, uh, why student affairs? Because I graduated college by surprise in three years and really quickly had to figure out something to do with my life. Um, and when I went into my mentor's office in a teary panic, she was like, well, you know, you have really enjoyed working with students for the last three years doing the community service work and campus ministry work I had been doing. Um, and Heidi at the time had not at the time, she still does, has a, a degree in higher education, and she suggested that as a field, and I was just blown away and was like, yes, I didn't know that was a thing, I'm doing it, and the rest is kind of history. 
I'm glad to hear that Heidi didn't lose that master's degree. That would have been a tough No, blow. still has it that I know of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would double check just to make sure, but I'm glad to hear that. All right, Katie, who who is the best leader you know and why? So I I struggle to answer this question because I think by the nature of my work and the way I talk to students about leadership, there there are just so many good ways of being a leader that I'm kind of like, best leader, what does that mean? Um, I really struggle with it. I think uh, kind of reflecting out in the world and the community and just somebody I've been reading about recently who I'm going to throw out as a really good leader is the Prime Minister of Canada, <laughs> Justin Trudeau. He, like, I think he is just one of those people, um, you know, I whatever with politics in America, but I think in Canada with him as a leader, you know, the people follow him, they listen to him, he's tapped into, um, you know, trends in society and what the people want and need, and he just kind of rolls with it, and the response has been awesome. So that's who I'm going to say for now, but know that I don't really have a favorite. Okay, great. People That's say just he's who also... I've been reading about recently. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, he's a he's a hot topic. Uh, uh, President Obama made fun of him in in the correspondence dinner. So, yes, that is also true. Yeah, people say he's very dreamy. Uh, okay, Katie, what experience do you think most informed how you think about yourself as a leader? Oh my goodness, so many. Um, I think again, it's probably with this question too a series of different experiences. I am one of those people who is always trying to learn and grow from different situations, but one that still stands out pretty clearly to me as a like, wow, you were really young and it took you a while to learn that, but you kind of <laughs> jumped right in anyway, was when I was a college student and I was leading alternative breaks programs, I was a sophomore and I was put in charge of a group of all almost all juniors, maybe one other sophomore and one first year, but mostly just juniors. And, you know, I was put in charge with them with two staff people and sent off on this trip. And the trip kind of fell apart. The staff people ended up being a little difficult, and the juniors didn't want to listen to me. And having to sort of be by myself and reflect on how I was going to deal with that and kind of coming, like, I think I did a pretty good job in the end. You know, I didn't ignore anything. I sat down. I brought stuff out in the open, super transparent, had a lot of conversations. Um, I think I still go back to that moment when I walk into a room and feel like I'm really young and that people won't listen to me. I kind of think back to like, no, they listened to me when I was a sophomore, so why won't they listen to me now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great, great. Well, thank you, Katie. Uh, we're going to transition. So now, uh, Eleanor, since Katie and I have already indulged in a little bit of silly self-promotion, what what is your favorite thing about yourself? I like about myself that I can be just as silly as I can be serious. Um, I often get called out. I had a faculty member actually in graduate school call me out for using silly voices in class which either told me that that program was exactly right for me or that it was maybe time to move on right before I graduated. Um, but I think I can do that, but then can also put um, a more serious hat on, um, which allows for some good points of connection with different types of people in different moments. Great, great. Um, so why student affairs for you? Um, I had a mentor um, in undergrad who um, was a role model and a mentor for many, many women on campus. 
Um, and coming into my own as a feminist and then seeing the power um, and the influence that this woman had on women's lives and the empathy that she was able to bring and the way that she was able to inspire growth in others, um, I thought that that was a really neat way to be in the world and um, similar to most folk stories, went and asked how she got that job and turns out you have a degree in it. So <laughs> I did a few other things um, and kept coming back to the idea of learning outside of the classroom, um, learning that can happen outside of the classroom, learning that happens in the real world. And so student affairs felt like a really good fit for that. Okay, great. Uh, so outside of, let's maybe take Justin Trudeau off the table. Who is <laughs> All right, the, Katie, who totally is, you can use that him from. too. <laughs> <laughs> who is, so who's the best leader you know and why, Eleanor? You know, I have a cheesy um, answer for this. Um, I think that my dad is a great example of a leader. Um, I think that, well, here I am about to flatter myself. I think that <laughs> I share his ability to be silly and candid, but also to bring an intellectual um, and thoughtful leadership to the table. He can be a really persuasive personality, but does so in a genuine and gentle way, um, and I think inspires other people with his um, genuine care and concern for folks and balances that with a sense of direction and purpose. And then, you know, in a lot of the things that he does, um, he's asked to speak publicly, and he always includes a Dr. Seuss reference, so he never takes himself too seriously. And I think that those qualities are things that I aspire to in myself as a leader. Great. Thanks. So yeah. my last Eleanor question is, what moment in pop culture inspires you, a.k.a. You know, what YouTube video do you go back to and it gives you chill bumps every time? Or, you know, what oh. movie have you seen that makes you want to, that you, they, they say something and you're like, oh, i got to write that down. i got to remember it. Yeah. Again, not to seem too cliche, but Beyonce tops the list here for me. Um, I think that her moment in the Super Bowl this last year where she came out with those dancers I think it was someone who is conscious of the fact that she is in the public eye taking a stand for something mm -hmm. that she really cares about. Um, and that really inspired me. And there's a lot of politics and thoughts around Beyonce and the cultures that she's representing. But I think that as a person in power who knows the influence that she has, she's been able to start a lot of conversations from the work that she's done and from who she is as an entertainer. So. Um, the moment, that moment in the Super Bowl, though, where she and those dancers came out with such power and such force. Uh, chill bumps. You were talking about that. That's that's where it is. Yeah, chill bumps are the chill bumps are the key. That's what we're looking for, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So now to transition a little bit to a, a more perhaps direct conversation about leadership. <laughs> um, not that you know, not that Beyonce and Justin Trudeau aren't aren't hot topics, but right, um, they're super important topics. Miles. They're very important. <laughs> so, uh, so why do y'all think that leadership work is worthwhile? So I'm I'm going to answer this uh, in the context of the work we do because that's kind of our frame for it, and that is how I have most thought about it. I think leadership work with college students is most worthwhile because. 
especially at a school like Duke, we have our students coming in all the time thinking they are already leaders and already ready for leadership roles. Um, I think if we didn't do the leadership work we do and kind of let them stay in that mindset and send them out into the world like that, that's doing them a disservice because then they're not thinking reflectively and tapping into their characters and values to see how those affect their leadership. Um, they're not thinking about the ways that they could be working on teams and with other people and how that could affect their leadership. Um, and so I really think that the work we do helps grow our students as those leaders who are going out in the world to make change so that they make better and more effective change and have really considered what leadership means to them and how they go about leadership before they actually truly start doing it in the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I find that I, I'm, I think there's a lot of similarities between our two student populations, but I, I find on a pretty regular basis, I'm always arguing with, you know, arguing or, you know, I, some would probably call that challenging our students to think of themselves <laughs> as unfinished. You know, there's, yes. a, there's a tendency like to, think, to think that, you know, that, that they've already sort of reached the end of some sort of road at 18, you know, so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great. So uh, whose work would you say inspires y'all's practice? So we, we focus a lot on this, in this office um, on the social change model of leadership. We've kind of dukeified <laughs> the language a little bit, but I think that is a really important theory and framework that influences a lot of what we do. And then in particular for the Duke Authenticity Project, Eleanor and I were just talking about how Brene Brown and her work has really, really kind of helped us mold that curriculum um, and sort of the messages that we want to put in it. We were at one point even thinking of giving copies of Daring Greatly to our students, but there's that whole section on parenting, and we were like, would that be weird for them? <laughs> um, so we haven't actually done that, but her work has really influenced how we talk to them about authenticity and vulnerability when we go on DAP. Great. Yeah, Brene Brown is, uh, I feel like, the patron saint of feelers everywhere. So that yeah. makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is the best student leadership moment y'all have seen? I'm going to answer this one in the context of the Authenticity Project. Um, so as the Authenticity Project has grown, it started as um, a staff-facilitated program and we have moved it more and more to a student facilitated program and this year was the first year it was entirely student run so our role as staff was to train the students to become effective facilitators. And so I think when we were on the Authenticity Project Retreat, which is the first part of the program, um, we saw and heard students using the languages and techniques that they had been taught um, when they were going through training to become facilitators, but using them seamlessly and appropriately and without any sort of prodding um, from us, they had taken these um, things and moved into a space where they called them their own um, and you know, saw at the end of the retreat um, the impact of that work with their teams of first-year students who they had been leading, you know, really, really rallying around them as leaders. And I think for some of our Authenticity Project leaders, we attract some students who might not hold leadership positions in, a, in other cases, and um, 
them seeing themselves, our leaders seeing themselves as leaders for the first time was a really magical moment to see, but it came from them doing all of the work um, on the front end, which was really, really neat. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so now that we've talked about the, the meaningful impact of leadership work, I always kind of want people in a post-Barbara Kellerman end of leadership world kind of want to think about uh, and, and sort of ask and press, you know, what do you think can go wrong with leadership studies? Yeah, um, I think I like how you phrase that, what can go wrong, because I think often um, what happens with leadership studies is that the intent is 100% in the right place. But I think in execution, um, the biggest pitfall I have seen is um, leadership theory, philosophy, leadership work being presented in a way with students where students feel like this is, not, this is isolated to this moment, where this study is isolated mm -hmm. to this moment, rather than um, students being able to see this the theory or whatever it is that's being presented um, as something that will move with them and grow with them, you know, in the world. Um, I talk about um, my work with first-year students as a leadership lab. So just as you would experiment in your chem lab, you are also experimenting and testing what works in this context, making mistakes and um, fixing them and thinking about what could go better next time. Um, I think that leadership studies goes wrong when it is presented in a way that makes it feel like it's isolated to a particular context. Because I think what we want students to come away with is an idea that they are civic agents and can be a leader in many different contexts and not just in the context that they're learning in in that very moment. Mm -hmm. I think two miles just to add on to that. Um, I think a lot of times leader and leadership become these very blanket terms where we start to question, well, what do you even mean by that? Who is a leader? What are you talking about? Um, and I think a lot of times our students, along with what Eleanor is saying about isolated incidences, they don't see themselves as leaders consistently sometimes. And so getting away from just kind of using leadership as a blanket term and really taking the time to break down the nuances behind it and help them understand what's behind being a leader instead of just kind of throwing the term around casually. I think which we do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel like it's a it's kind of a constant struggle to to challenge our students to think of to think of themselves as leaders and all the time. You know, I think that yeah. uh, I, I sometimes get the sense from students that it's like a faucet that can turn, you know, we can turn on and off and mm, you know, particularly yeah. when you're dealing with like behavioral issues on the back end of something, you know, it's well, it didn't have anything to do with that particular leadership role that I was in and I said, you know, well, it can can kind of spiral and can be a different sort of thing there. So, great. Yeah. Um, well, I invited you all here specifically to discuss uh, a particular program that you manage, the Duke Authenticity Project. I discovered uh, the Authenticity Project uh, while doing a market basket study for GW this past fall, and just really was compelled by the by the work that uh, that y'all were doing, and, and reached out to Katie and talked to her a little bit about that. So. Could you all just kind of provide a brief summary of the purpose, structure, and functionality of, of the Duke Authenticity Project for those who haven't heard about the work that you're doing? Yeah, um, gave you a sneak preview just a moment ago, but I will delve a little bit deeper. So 
The Authenticity Project grew out of conversations that first-year students were having. We have a separate first-year campus. We call it East Campus. Um, so conversations first-year students were having on East Campus saying, I feel like I know people. I feel like I have a network of people, but I am not deeply connected in meaningful friendships with folks. Um, so students, we were hearing that from students, but then we were also hearing in another vein, um, there are so many opportunities at Duke, but I feel like in order to be the quote-unquote ideal Duke student, there I have to check off all of these boxes rather than following a path that is intrinsically meaningful to, um, to me. Um, and so out of that, um, staff created the Duke Authenticity Project. Um, it started as a half-day retreat um, where we do a lot of character and values based work, um, a lot of self-reflection, um, and then move into um, who, what does it mean to have an authentic relationship, and then lastly branch out into what does it mean to lead authentically. Um, and so the project has grown, like I said, from um, a half-day retreat to overnight. Um, the cohort has grown, and it has become student-facilitated rather than staff-facilitated, so we have an added layer of leadership learning in our student facilitators. Great. Uh, so the so during the retreat portion of the project, how do you um, how do you scaffold conversations to get to? Because this sounds like a you know what you're shooting for is a pretty is a pretty real vulnerable conversation. How do you scaffold those conversations in order to to get to a place where you feel like you're getting you know real you know, vulnerability uh, yeah. from these students in a pretty new setting? Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's something that we have experimented with, um, because when the retreat just lasted a half of a day, just as students were starting to feel comfortable with each other, it ended. Um, and one thing I failed to mention just a moment ago is that after the retreat, Authenticity Project continues throughout the year with a series of five conversations at least. Um, that happened throughout the year. So relationships are established at the retreat, but then they continue to grow beyond that. So for the retreat, um, they start, um, we start relationship building and building trust um, in the first moments um, when students arrive. Um, of course, we do the icebreaker that needs to happen, but then the bus time is intentional. Um, and then um, over dinner, um, we have guided conversation, um, but it's a little bit more casual setting with the small groups. So students are divided into small groups of six students um, to facilitate a little bit more comfortability. And they'll be with those um, six students in their small group and one leader throughout the entire weekend. Um, but I think one place where we do a good job is we take the process of setting expectations really seriously. And we really speak into the level of sharing that we're expecting um, to happen. Um, and of course, give students the space to decide what level they want to go to. But I think in the setting expectations, students realize um, what they're into. And I should also say that we have an advantage in that students, in our, from our advertising materials, students know the types of conversations that they're going to be getting into. So we already start with a population of students who are ready to dig deep and to be vulnerable and to share. But um, the depth does increase um, throughout, throughout the weekend. And we have some unstructured time that helps with that as well um, to the place where students, I think, feel um, a really sweet 
sense of comfort with each other by the end of the retreat and then continues to grow as they meet informally throughout the year and at our follow-up dialogues. Mm-hmm. And I know two miles, you know, Eleanor said icebreaker and then we kind of chuckled a little because icebreakers are this thing in student affairs we all do. You know, we have to do icebreakers. They have to get to know each other. But even to that level on DAP, those are really intentional and we we had student input a little while ago that was like, we don't want to just be doing the icebreakers that's name, major, where do you live on campus, because those are superficial. That's not what DAP is about. So we actually, even in the icebreakers, set them up to be a little deeper. And we frame you know, kind of questions like you were just asking us that they can do on the bus to get to know each other. You know, Talk about your favorite childhood memory. That's not going too deep, because we did just start, but isn't that super, super super superficial, um, <laughs> that isn't that superficial, what's your name, what's your major kind of thing. And um, to just add on to all the good stuff Eleanor just said, we also use our student facilitators to role model that honest sharing. Part of the weekend is asking our student facilitators to share talks on specific topics, and the talks are centered around events or experiences that have happened in their own life relating to vulnerability, um, you know, relationship building, what do you know about yourself, and things like that. So once our student facilitators kind of start role modeling that and then go back to their small groups, their small groups feel more comfortable talking to them about those things. So it's, it's, we would like to think it's all intentional. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh... I found I've been managing an outdoor orientation program here at GW for a long time and I've really been trying to replicate the small groups that they do at the end of the night there have just really, really incredible outcomes and have been trying to replicate that for other things that we're doing. We're starting a pilot program for a for a leadership style orientation program this year and um, and are making sure that small groups are really at the heart of what we're doing there. I've, I, we've found that to be incredibly helpful as well. I feel like there's only so many, you know, intimate discussions that you can have in front of 30 people that you just met. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so sort of transitioning, so after the retreat, uh, I was curious about um, how you decide on topics for, for the workshop series that, that occurs out of the retreat that, that are the next part of the Duke Authenticity Project. Um, so you know, how do you decide those topics? Are those born out of conversations that occur on the retreat or are those planned planned in advance or some combination thereof? Yeah, definitely a combination because we do want to leave that wiggle room for things that come up on the retreat, but there are also um, different events and topics that we as staff on campus have recognized as connecting to what the Duke Authenticity Project does, and so we want to take our students to those. Um, the first retreat after DAP is always very much a conversation, sorry, the first conversation after the retreat is always very much a, okay, you've been back on campus after that really groundbreaking retreat, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, we set that conversation up in different ways. You know, we've done parent share, small group. Um, now the student facilitators help us facilitate it, but it's always around that topic of like, okay, you've been back on campus for a little while now. What is that like for you? We also always in February take them, Duke has a program called Me Too Monologues where students submit monologues about life experiences that they have had. Um, they range everywhere from monologues on race, um, sexual assault, LGBTQ issues, a whole variety of things. The students submit those monologues to the Me Too panel and then other students act 
I say act them out, it's not really acting, they speak them out to an audience. And so we always take our students to a dress rehearsal for that where they get to you know, be in the room by themselves with the students reading the monologues out and then afterwards they have a talk back around what the monologue topics were because a lot of what the topics are are very vulnerable and personal and kind of again that role modeling when our students who went on DAP see upper class students giving these monologues about topics that they can sit there and kind of the point of the title, they can sit there and they can say, me too. Um, that's really, empower really empowering for them. So we always make sure to take them to the Me Too monologues. Um, the other conversations this year were sort of a mix of, hey, what did we talk about on the retreat? And also asking our student facilitators um, what they would like to see. So on the retreat, um, different identity issues came up and we very much recognized that we were not the people to delve into that. So we connected with a group on campus called um, the Center for Race Relations and they did a conversation with some of their students and some of our students around identity. Um, we came up with something for another conversation that we were jokingly calling the Authentic People Dinner and then the name stuck because we actually ended up thinking it was kind of clever, but we invited people from the Durham community and the Duke community who we just really feel go about their life in a very genuine way to come and have conversation with our students. So it's definitely a mix of both. Some things we try to take the students to every year and then some things that just pop up. Great. Um, so uh, authentic connections and increased self-knowledge uh, were sort of seem, seem to be the goals at the beginning of DAP. Uh, how have you all achieved, achieved that through the, through the program? Well, the, the short answer is we don't know if we have. <laughs> the longer answer is that our assessment metrics do tell us that we are achieving our outcomes. Students are feeling like they know a little bit more about themselves. They are feeling a little bit more connected to other students. Um, but ultimately, um, mostly through word of mouth, students say it's a meaningful experience. Students say that they had conversations that they wouldn't have had otherwise, that they learned things about themselves that they wouldn't have had, uh, wouldn't have learned otherwise, and that they've met some friends. I think this year is the first year where students have really formed, we did the, we held the retreat earlier than it's ever been this mm -hmm. particular fall, and so a lot of our first year students created some really meaningful relationships. So we've seen for the first time a real community um, springing up and that community along with our community of facilitators is good evidence of that work. Um, one of the things that we are trying to do moving forward is to take, to continue DAP as a programmatic um, project but to grow it beyond its programmatic focus and um, start doing some things that infuse uh, the Authenticity Project into the first year campus culture and then hopefully into the Duke campus culture. And so um, our student facilitators, we have a committee next year that is, we, we're calling it our strategic planning committee, um, who is tasked with um, brainstorming and executing ways to bring DAP beyond a programmatic focus so that more and more of these students, more and more students at Duke are um, meeting these outcomes, meeting these goals that we have for our program participants. Okay. And I think for us that's a measure of success miles, especially around the authentic connections because we for, um, you know, we mentioned we had five follow-up conversations this year. Some of those conversations were very much only open to the DAP students who went on the retreat. 
But then we had an increasing number of other first-year students and upper-class students emailing any of the three of us who helped plan it and saying, you know, sorry, I'm, shoot, I missed the retreat. Can I get involved in this stuff? It's actually really important to me. I think Duke needs it. I'd love to be a part of it. So some of our other conversations were open to students who hadn't gone on the retreat, and they came. Um, so I think the fact that they're hearing about it, they're wanting to participate in it, and they're wanting it to be bigger and something that is taking over more of campus, that for us is a huge measure of success because we have put so much energy and effort into growing it to this place. Wow, that's awesome. That's like, a, you know, that's a, a, you know, an incredible show of, show of impact that other people who sort of missed the boat are really regretful that they did. So yeah. um, that's, an, that's a really strong anecdotal, you know, evidence of impact. Um, I was also happy, Eleanor, that, you know, we, uh, we made it, I think, almost 30 minutes here before the word assessment was mentioned, which has to be a record for any conversation <laughs> with student affairs. Yep. <laughs> Glad you knew we, it was going to come up eventually. <laughs> glad, glad we got there. That's big news. Yeah. So, um, okay, we're legit. We promise. <laughs> we're legit. It's not all anecdotal. Nobody thinks that. Um, so, can y'all sort of for our final question about DAP? Could y'all share a story of when you knew that knew that the program had had really tangibly met its goals? Yeah. I th so I'm going to tell this story because I was just telling Eleanor the other day, and we were both super excited about it. And it kind of goes along with what I just said. Um, I was at a retreat the other day on campus, a professional development retreat, where um, just different colleagues who are engaged somehow in civic engagement opportunities on campus gather for half a day. And we were working on the theme of storytelling this year. So, you know, how, how do you help your students use storytelling as a method in their everyday life? How do you help them use it for leadership, et cetera? And one of the best parts of the day was when a student panel from some of the most you know, what we would call prestigious programs at Duke, our Duke Engage program, our Me Too Monologues program, those students were invited to give personal examples about how they share stories at Duke and in life um, and kind of how they go about being vulnerable and authentic. And when I, you know, put my head up to look at this panel of students, I saw one of our DAP students sitting on it, one of them who, you know, came to us as a first year, participated in the program, came back as a student leader, and who we have just watched grow into himself over the last three years in incredible ways. And Cole had made a connection with one of the academic advisors who was planning this retreat and had talked about DAP. And she immediately was like, you would be a great fit for this storytelling panel. You're talking about it so passionately. Like it's, it's a perfect example of storytelling and how to share vulnerability. Like, please come to this retreat. So there he was up in front of everyone talking about DAP and the impact it had had on him and the, you know, how he still talks to his small group and the impact it's had on them and how he's going to participate next year and how he's excited about that. And I was just sitting there like glowing inside <laughs> and just like, I'm so, this is, this is the moment. Like this is what we've been waiting for with this program. Um, so yeah, that just happened the other week and it was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, accidental advocacy is the best, right? It like feels so earned, yeah. you know. You didn't have to like fight for it, or you didn't have to right. feel sort of weird about like pushing your agenda. It's just like no, that was just no. good work, and there it is for everybody, you know. I yep. actually I had to say to him afterwards, like Cole, you know, when you're giving a cool presentation like this on DAP, please let Eleanor I know. <laughs> 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 like we're really excited. About yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Didn't ask him. Like didn't pay him. Didn't push him. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, so now, you know, now that we 
got our assessment reference out of the way, it, it would not be a student affairs conversation if we didn't didn't do an icebreaker and think that it was going to be fun. So, uh, <laughs> so now we're going to transition into a, uh, a segment that we're going to try to do every time called Rapid Fire, um, where I'm going to ask a big silly question and I'm going to limit <laughs> Kitty and Eleanor's responses to 30 seconds. Um, cool. so, the, so the first one is for Eleanor. Uh, Outside of your professed love for Beyonce, who, yeah. oh, who is the best? That's your answer, Miles. <laughs> I mean, if you want to say Beyonce every time, you can say Beyonce. Justin, no, I got I to gotta come up with something good. <laughs> All right, so uh, who is the best leader in pop culture and why? Um, well, now that Dr. Seuss is on the brain, I've got to say Dr. Seuss. He okay. takes really important messages and distills them into language that everyone can understand, which is, I think, one of the most difficult things to do in the world. Okay, great. So. Dr. Seuss it is. <laughs> okay, Katie, the airport is filled with them, and every prominent retired CEO writes one. So what is the best <laughs> book about leadership and why? It's probably actually a book you're not going to find in the airport. I am a huge, huge fan of Stewardship by Peter Block. It is actually a business management book, but it takes everything we think about leadership and hierarchy and totally flips it on its head. Okay, great. That's probably that's probably he didn't he wasn't the CEO of Starbucks, was he? No. Oh well, probably not going to make it in the <laughs> in the airport then. Uh, you know the true story of how Hamilton the musical got started is because Lin Manuel Miranda found uh, uh, Ron Chernow's. A biography of Alexander Hamilton in the airport and read it on a plane. Really? I did not know that. Yep, that's a that's a real origin story. So, <laughs> okay, Elnor, uh, what historical figure was the best leader? Off the top of my head, I'm going to say Harriet Tubman because a 14-year-old told me that the other day and had the most graceful answer for Harriet Tubman's leadership without thanks and without praise. Um, and I that example was so powerful to me to hear from this 14-year-old woman's lips. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's that's wonderful. And she's right? on that $20 <laughs> bill now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, goodbye, Andrew Jackson. Good riddance. <laughs> Someday. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> All right, Katie, last one. Uh, it's every leadership practitioner's favorite debate. What's your leadership theory of choice and why? So I am 100% a fan of the social change model. I think seven C's is a little excessive because we talk about it here in three, but I think it's the theory that best connects leadership with actual social and world change. Okay, great. So Katie rides for social change. Glad to hear it. All right. So our final segment, uh, which we're going to try to do every week, is a twist on a classic icebreaker. I'm going to call it higher ed two truths and a lie. Uh, so I'm going to provide two true stories from higher education history and or current events this week. It's all stuff from this week. And I'm going to provide one lie. And Katie and Eleanor are going to have to parse out the lie. Uh, I will say that I did think I was going to be able to find more fun stories, but um, the uh, most coverage of higher education is pretty grim. So, yeah. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> so uh, this was the uh, this was the most interesting things that I could find. So, all right, let's have it, Miles. All right, so here are your three options. Today, Johns Hopkins announced it will no longer teach surgical techniques on live pigs. So that's one option. Raffles Education Company, a Singapore-based group, announced the intention to acquire Santa Fe University of Art and Design this week. That's another option. 
And then the last option is the University of South Carolina announced its intention to dissolve its dolphin training program this week. So what <laughs> is true and what is a lie? I think the last That's really tough. Yeah. I think the, the last dolphin. one. Yeah. We, we think the third one is a lie, the one about the dolphins. dolphins. Yeah, that is correct. Ah, that is a lie. Ah. Congratu if you said University of Ooh. Miami, I would have had a harder time deciding. But in South Carolina, it's porpoises up there, Miles. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. I should have gone. I should have gone more. Uh, should have gone with more geographic basis. I really almost changed it to University of North Carolina Wilmington, but then I <laughs> just panicked. I was I was so upset at that point that I hadn't found funnier things. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, well. Uh, that is the end of our program. So thanks to everyone for joining us for the first ever NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program Knowledge Community. And thanks to Katie and Eleanor for their generosity of time, their patience in going through this process with me, and most especially for their great transformational work with the Duke Authenticity Project. If you'd like to learn more about DAP, please just Google the name Duke Authenticity Project. I was going to provide the URL, but Googling really is a long. lot easier, I promise. <laughs> um, and also, if you'd like more information, you can reach Katie at Katie, so that's K-A-T-I-E dot Colleran, which is C-O-L-L-E-R-A-N at duke.edu, or Eleanor at Eleanor, which is L-E, so, excuse me, E-L-I-N-O-R dot Landis, which is L-A-N-D-E-S-S -S at duke.edu. And finally, you can get more information about, about uh, the Student Leadership Program Knowledge Community on the various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SALead, Twitter at at NASPA SLPKC, Instagram at at NASPA underscore SLPKC, and all the webinars can be found on the Knowledge Community YouTube channel, which is NASPA SLPKC. And if you have any questions um, about this podcast or about our ongoing discussion regarding, uh, regarding leadership, you can submit them at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we'd love to hear about your program, so please shoot an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Miles. Thank you.